So one of the most um, interesting dynamics I've been wrestling with uh, is the development of leaders uh, within organizations. I've been wrestling with this because leaders are necessary for any organization to move forward with its agenda, to move forward with accomplishing its goals and becoming uh, what it sees it has the potential to become. And particularly in the nonprofit space, leaders are essential to the process of a nonprofit becoming um, what it intends to be and achieving the outcomes it intends to achieve. And serving the clients it intends to serve. For me, it seems extremely critical for nonprofit organizations to continue to cultivate leaders throughout its organization. And I mean, from the top to the bottom, so that the organization has an ongoing fighting chance to accomplish what is on its agenda. Like any organization, the importance of having leaders from top to bottom identified is so the organization can not only have a fighting chance of achieving its goals, but also so it can sustain its operations without losing the beat. We see in too many instances where nonprofit organizations uh, lack plans that identify the next round of leaders in the event current leadership departs. This is what we call succession planning, planning for who's going to fill open vacancies in the event of an emergency departure or planned departure of a key member of the team and or a key member of the leadership team. And the necessity of having uh, a succession plan in place is vital for any organization to continue its efforts. It cannot stop because a leader decides to leave or involuntarily leaves, such as due to death or family sickness or illness or circumstances that necessitate them spending an inordinate amount of time away from the office and focusing on other matters that are more pressing than the business at hand. The reality that we all have to wrestle with is this happens, it will happen, and it will continue to happen. So how do we succession plan within our nonprofit organizations? And I'd like to submit to you that succession planning begins and likely ends with the development of leaders. So let me kind of walk through a couple of thoughts about leadership. The, the foundational um, idea of leadership is that leadership is the ability to influence a group of people to accomplish a set of goals. Uh, influence is the key definition in uh, the key term, excuse me, uh, influence is the key term in the definition or the defining of leadership. It is about influence. And influence um, 
occurs in so many instances. But let me just quickly define influence uh, before I give some examples. Influence is defined as the capacity or power to compel someone to produce a set of actions or behaviors or opinions. To compel someone to produce a set of actions, behavior, or opinions. This can show up in a number of ways. Uh, people can be influenced by intellect. In terms of, uh, for example, you can explain something to someone and because they are an intellectual being, um, you know, or they're highly intellectual, you know, they, they see uh, the logic of what you're saying and agree with you after processing it mentally. Um, so some people, um, you know, may be influenced by intellect. Some people may be influenced uh, by uh their inspiration, the, the inspiration that they receive from you as a leader. They may be inspired by your actions. They may be inspired by your process. They may be inspired by the accomplishments that you have achieved up to this point. Um, some people may be influenced by uh, individual engagement interaction you may have with them. Uh, the more private one-on-one -on -one time you spend with an individual may result in them being influenced, not necessarily because you're intellectually stimulating them or because you inspire them, but because you've, you've spent quality time with them and you have uh, kind of customized um, what you are trying to push as a leader to help in a way that helps them understand. Uh, some people are influenced by uh, your example and the framework you not only lay out in word, but also in your actions. So you not only preach it, but you live it. And so what I just quickly defined uh, is the four eyes of transformational leadership. And, and that is uh, inspirational motivation, individual consideration, intellectual stimulation, and ideal influence. And there are other mechanisms that other, uh, you know, authors and consultants may put forward as ways of inspiring people. And I would encourage you as leaders to think um, about ways to influence um, to your team and, and also influence them in a way that is authentic to you as, as an individual and as a leader in your own right. Okay, so let's talk about uh, leadership further. And one of the most effective ways I think I can talk about leadership is to talk about leadership in its contrast to its cousin, management. A lot of uh, people confuse the two and don't see the difference between the two. Um, but let me just uh, kind of put some things um, kind of in a perspective. And I'm going to quote. Um, some some thoughts from um, the leadership theory and practice book by Peter Nordhaus. And he says this, quote, management was created as a way to reduce chaos in organizations to make them run more effectively and efficiently. The primary function of management as first identified by 
Fayol, F-A-Y-O-L, in 1916 were, were planning, organizing, staffing, and controlling. That's the definition of management. It's about it's about planning, organizing, staffing, and controlling um, the operations within an organization. All organizations have and need management. Um, management is essential um, to any organization's function functionality, um, especially within nonprofits. Right. There needs to be strong management uh, of operations so that customers are getting the services that they are seeking after from the nonprofit. Uh, in addition, there needs to be strong management so that funders and investors are getting um, the outcomes that they are paying for from a program. And in order to do that, there needs to be significant strong management in place that not only meets the need of the people who are in need of the services, but also meets the need of the funder by way of capturing data and outcomes to uh, justify activity up to this point. I think for quite a long time, uh, people within the nonprofit community looked at management just from the perspective of serving the people and meeting their needs and not balance the perspective of managing the needs of the funder unless pressure was applied. And what we've noticed and seems to be a kind of a common practice within the nonprofit community is that management tends to uh, uh, kind of have a knee-jerk reaction to the needs of the funder at the last possible minute when they remember, when management remembers reports are due, data is due, stories are due, um, you know, the calculation of how money was spent is due, the return on investment, etc. It becomes almost an afterthought. And good management looks at the view of all stakeholders involved, the customer who's receiving the service, the investor, the funder, or the um, uh, the grant giver who is paying for the services and also can't forget this either the staff who is delivering the services the management has to be tight on all fronts to ensure that all stakeholders are well taken care of are 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 performing and are getting the resources that they need now what i want to point out here uh, is another thought that Norhouse uh, identifies. He says um, the overriding function, and I quote, the overriding function of management is to provide order and consistency to organizations, whereas the primary function of leadership is to produce change and movement. Management is about seeking order and stability. Leadership is about seeking adaptive and constructive change. End quote. Again, management is about order and consistency. Leadership is about producing change and movement. How a leader uh, is effective is when they get things to change and move in a direction. And this begins to set up the dichotomy between management and leadership. I believe that all managers 
should be great at what they do, but they may not be great at leading. I do believe concurrently that leaders should be great at what they do and great at management. A leader should be able to lead and manage. A manager may not be able to lead, but they may be able to manage. And in some cases, that's good enough. Leadership, again, is about influence. And what Nordhaus is pointing out is that influence should result in change and movement. It should result in adaptation and constructive change or a shifting from one position to the next. Here's a quick example of what that may look like. Uh, a leader may see that an organization or a team or a program is underperforming. Management will say, okay, well, we have to put these um, uh, policies in place to ensure everybody is doing A, B, and C or performing A, B, and C function, and that's good. Leadership says, Okay, once we have good functions in place, once we have clearly defined roles in place, once we've identified uh, the skill sets and the contributions people can make to the team as it's currently constructed or, you know, and this is even after changes have been made to the staffing outline, leadership says, okay, once I get things in place, I am now going to affect change and movement so that not only are people in a defined position and performing at their very max, I am also going to get them to work in a consolidated effort that results in a change in performance and movement and outcomes. So before a leader gets installed into an organization that's underperforming, you may notice that every position that is vital to the success of an organization has been filled with a body. However, a leader says every position that's necessary is now staffed with the right skill set. And those skill sets may be more finite than anticipated. Right. It may not be as expansive as as previous leadership wanted it, but it may be finite. But when you have finite people operating in finite positions and you bring all of them together, it will result in performance change and movement in performance. You will start to see consistency in performance. You will start to see a predictability in performance. You will start to see a certain outcomes as a result in changes of performance. That becomes extremely vital to identifying the impact of leadership. When you look at management, management is all about controlling the chaos. It's all about making sure the system runs effectively and efficiently, but it doesn't necessarily result in significant change. Right now, let me just add another layer onto this. The leader not only uh, knows how to put people in position to perform a specific task, but he gets people to buy in. And I point back to the example that I gave about ways to influence people. You can influence people to buy into a different role, a lesser role, a greater role by uh, individualizing the approach, by inspiring them, by um, being an example, and by uh, in intellectually stimulating their mindset. Those are just four quick examples from the transformational leadership model that says, I'm going to influence people to go with the plan and I'm going to do it by one of these mechanisms. Some people may have to take a reduced role with the vision the leader has. 
in order to get them to buy in and to be influenced, you gotta to be influenced to, to perform in a different role, you gotta influence them some way, somehow. Some people may be nervous about taking on a greater role. They've never had that type of responsibility before. And now you have to inspire them, uh, coach them to raise their confidence level to perform. Some people may not ever move up or down, but may have to be stagnant permanently or for a defined period of time. They need coaching too. Uh, upper management that's above the leader, the board or other senior leaders need to be convinced as well that this is the right direction. And, and you got to lead them towards that. Stakeholders got to buy into that. Investors and funders got to buy into it. The community has to buy into it. It is a heavy lift for a leader to encourage change and movement within an organization with the support or the uh, the ongoing uh, encouragement of of investors, stakeholders, customers, uh, relationships of the north, south, east, and west of the leader. So it is a constant process, but it is a difficult process. And this is where we begin to uh, talk about the importance of identifying why leadership is different than management. So let me um, kind of uh, talk about uh, the differences a little bit further. Uh, management produces order and consistency while leadership produces change and movement. So here's an example of what management does to produce order and consistencies. They plan and they budget. Managers organize and staff and they control and solve problems. Concur uh, conversely to this, leaders establish direction. They align people and they motivate and inspire people. And under each category are a series of thoughts that I want to uh, break down with you. And we'll go through that now. OK, so under management, um, there is planning and budgeting managers under this category. They establish agendas. Um, that is how, you know, what we're going to accomplish when we come together for this purpose. And here are the things we're going to try to check off our list of things to do uh, when we come together. It is totally different from casting a vision. Uh, developing an agenda uh, also suggests that people have a clear understanding as to why they're coming together um, uh, for this defined purpose. If you think about meeting agendas, and the way that they are developed, um, they are developed with um, the intent of giving further clarity as to why a meeting was scheduled in the first place. Everybody understands the topic that's, you know, they're coming to talk about, but the agenda outlines further details about the discussion that's getting ready to take place within an organization. Developing an agenda um, becomes more of a tactical activity um, that seeks to bring structure and organization to people who are working on that agenda or who are trying to make that agenda a reality. Uh, in addition, under planning and budgeting, managers set timetables or due dates or frame uh, kind of uh, time frames for 
when things are to be accomplished within the agenda or within the organization. Um, managers know that certain activities have to be completed by a certain time because the project was given a due date or a deadline by its sponsor. If the project goes beyond that defined period of time, there are significant consequences that will result from that. Uh, for example, I was a project manager uh, earlier in my career, and we knew once we received a project, uh, we needed to meet the deadlines of that project. The consequence of not meeting the project deadline was the uh, available resources that were assigned to the project would have to be transitioned to other projects and may not be available to us uh, as much as they originally were. So that's a significant consequence. Another significant consequence of not meeting a deadline or the timetable is the loss of funding or resources to continue on with the project as it currently stands. And if money runs out or if money is no longer given to a project um, because it, it goes beyond the defined period of time, then a project ends um, perhaps in the middle or near the end and not accomplishing what it is intended to accomplish. Uh, that has a reverberating impact on project leadership and staff assigned to it. And so those are consequences to consider. Another consequence to consider is that not meeting deadlines can halt the entire um, organization. While one project may not stop an organization, one particular project that doesn't meet its deadlines or timetables may be extremely vital for moving forward to the next step of a broader organizational plan. And so not respecting or not honoring timetables becomes a problem. And for management, it's their job to keep everybody on task and um, on time. And lastly, under planning and budgeting, managers allocate resources, both financial and human and other. They bring resources that have already been assigned to the project and tell those resources where to go. For example, if a manager has $100 for a project, they it is their responsibility to allocate all $100. Um, $2 may go to marketing. $5 may go to operations. $20 may go to product delivery. Another 5 may go to product development. Um, another 10 may go to a partner for additional services. And, and as you kind of look at that, um, you know, the manager's job is to allocate the financial resources and also delegate human resources. Who's going to complete which task? Who's better at which task? Who can help uh, complete another task when they finish their task? So the assignment of resources are vital. And then also think about partnership resources. Uh, if we have a partner who can come in and help uh, do task uh, D, C, and E, uh, uh, excuse me, they have, we have a partner who can do uh, uh, DEF, then how do we deploy that partner for um, the purposes of this project? So that is planning and budgeting. Next under management is organizing and staffing. Managers provide structure. They, they structure uh, how uh, staff is allocated and how staff is functioning within a pro project or an organization. They provide structure 
in terms of how staff to, are to do their jobs, uh, policies and procedures, etc. Secondly, under organizing and staffing, managers make job placements. Uh, they put people in position to do certain things. They assign roles to people. Uh, this goes back to the project management example when a set of tasks have been created uh, with due dates. There has to be someone assigned to each task. Some people may own more than one task or may have a participation in one or more discipline within a particular project, um, but the manager does those type of placements. And lastly, under organizing and staffing, managers establish rules and procedures. They set the foundation for how things will be done. This is where the rules come into play. What can we do? What can we not do? And when we identify what we can do and what we cannot do, the procedures come to play. How do we execute what we can do? The last category under management uh, as we do this comparison is controlling and problem solving. Uh, the first bullet there is develop incentives. Uh, managers figure out ways to get people excited to do something or invest it in doing something. This is what an incentive does. In some cases, an incentive may be um, extra time um, allotted uh, for PTO, personal time off. Um, another incentive may be a bonus. Another incentive may be participation in an activity that is sponsored by the company or the agency. Um, there can be a bunch of things that uh, come out of developing incentives. Secondly, under controlling and problem solving, they generate managers generate creative solutions. They start to think of outside the box. And this is kind of where the manager starts to blur the line with the leader. They begin to go outside what is traditional, what is normal, what is expected, what are the procedures and the rules to figure out if there's some wiggle room there uh, to solve a problem. And lastly, under controlling and problem solving, a manager takes corrective action. Managers identify when the system is broken, when people are not performing, and they move forward in making sure that the right action is taken to get everything back on track. Uh, another term for this is course correction, uh, where the entire project is paused for a moment in order to get it back in the right direction, and then the project resumes as uh, uh, kind of resumes towards its normal course. Now, conversely, leaders produce change and movement. There are three categories there uh, under leadership, establishing direction, number two, aligning people, and number three, motivating and inspiring. So let's go through each of these categories specifically. Under establishing directions, leaders do three things. The first thing they do is create a vision, a perspective of the future that has yet to be realized but can be achieved. The vision is what the leader sees that is not yet tangible, but we are working towards making that view or that vision or that dream a reality. The vision is what drives people to perform or to do their job. The vision, while not yet tangible, becomes the essence of the work people pursue or engage in, right? Think about this now. The vision, you can't touch it, you can't see it, you can't smell it, is not real at this moment. However, every little thing that the manager does to plan leads towards achieving a specific vision. Number two, under establishing direction, a leader clarifies the big picture. The big picture is in many cases well beyond the scope of work for uh, line staff and even mid-level managers. And so the leader 
helps mid-level managers, line staff see the role that they play in contributing to the overall scope or the big picture that the organization is pursuing. This at times may include a discussion about the vision, but a good example of this is uh, programmatic staff may not understand how their particular program, program A, corresponds or influences program B, C, and D within the organization. In addition, program staff from program A may not understand how they are impacted by the other programs or how they are impacted by administration, such as finance, such as IT, such as human resources, etc. And so the leader talks to members of program A about how they interchange or their work interacts with program B, C, and D, and how the role of administration, IT, finance, HR, helps with program A accomplishing its goals. While program A members are isolated in their thinking, which they probably should be, the leader helps them see how they are still connected to the big picture. Lastly, under establishing direction, a leader uh, thirdly, sets strategies. Strategies are broad tactics or broad steps or broad views that we will take as an organization to accomplish our goals. The more detailed explanation or the breakdown of those strategies and how those strategies will be executed or allocated or implemented becomes the role of management. However, the leader sets strategies. So, for example, if a particular program uh, or, or nonprofit is focusing on ending homelessness and the CEO uh, says that we are going to reduce homelessness by 10 percent in this targeted area and we're going to do that by, for example, accomplishing uh, we're going to do that by uh, by executing these uh, three strategies. Three strategies could be um, identifying and keeping track of where all homeless homeless persons are in this defined area. Number two, the second strategy is to get folks off the street and housed in some sort of stable housing. And number three, the third strategy would be uh, maybe to rapidly connect folks to long-term housing solutions that can be sustained. Makes sense, right? And these are strategies that are pretty high level. The details of those three strategies becomes the role and responsibility of management. This is going back to managers that set the agenda. The strategy has been set. Identify the homeless. Get them off the street with immediate housing. Get them connected to more long-term sustainable housing. The managers now say, we got these three things we've got to accomplish Here's what we got to talk about. Let's talk about how to do that. That's the agenda. Let's set a timetable for getting this done because our vision is to get it done within three years. But we know the three-year period at large is the goal. But then how do we get break this down into smaller chunks and get it done within a, a more specific defined period of time? And then how do we allocate financial resources and human resources to make this happen? Third, uh, secondly, and uh, leaders, uh, the leadership producing change of movement, they align people. And under aligning people, leaders communicate goals. What are our goals? Right? Our goals, um, you know, are, are the little things we want to accomplish. Perhaps goals may have an overlap with strategies. Right. It, it just they just might have an overlap. In some cases, they may not. So with the example of the homeless organization who wants to end homelessness in three years, but then it, uh, I think the goal was to reduce homelessness by 10 percent. 
um, within a, a certain area. That's that's the big goal. Um, the, you know, but that's the goal. You know, uh, and leaders communicate that frequently. They give updates on the goal. So if we've already identified our strategy and we know we want to reduce it by 10% within our defined area, then for the leader, our goal doesn't change. Even though we've reduced it by 1%, 2%, 3%, 4%, our goal is not 3 4 5%. Our goal is 10%. So we're constantly communicating. Leaders are constantly communicating the goal or goals that they're trying to achieve. Number two about uh, under aligning people, leaders seek commitment. Leaders seek people who are going to buy in and say, I support us moving in this direction and achieving these goals. How can I help? How can I contribute? How can I give something towards making this happen? Leaders pursue that. They look for people who are um, who are able and willing to uh, give of themselves and their resources. Uh, in some cases, leaders draw it out of people. Um, in other cases, leaders uh, sometimes figure out who cannot commit and do not move forward with any other, um, you know, without they, they figure out who cannot commit and they don't move forward with seeking commitment from people. And so that is the part, part of the process of seeking commitment, knowing who not to pursue, who to end uh, relationships with so that you can pursue those who do want to commit. And they're aligning people. The third thing is building teams and coalitions. Again, you know, teams are built um, um, in a variety of ways and through a variety of mechanisms and platforms. Uh, leaders know that in order to accomplish any goal or achieve any vision, you got to build teams. you got to bring together people who can do specific things that aligns with the strategies and the goals that you identify. And then coalitions are much more broader, right? Some, In some cases... Um, the, the leader sees coalitions as resources outside of uh, their uh, own control or outside of the organization who may have some vested interest in what they're trying to achieve. It may not be 100 percent one for one, but they may see that that a, a group over here wants to um, contribute to a portion of the vision. And it's it aligns a small portion of their work aligns with the vision that this leader has set forward. Again, that builds a coalition, not necessarily to get this other team organization to do uh, part of the work. But no, it's about saying, hey, we have this vested interest. We overlap here. Let's work together. And the leader uh, in this case is identifying those coalitions and uh, and put together putting together several versions or several types of coalitions that ultimately contribute to his or her overall goal they're trying to achieve. So coalitions are equally important to the team that is being developed. Lastly, uh, under leaders producing change and movement, motivating and inspiring people. Leaders uh, under motivating and inspiring people, they inspire and energize people. They inspire people to pursue greatness or pursue something beyond where they are now they 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 energize people with ideas with vision with strategy with assistance with uh, um um you know with uh resources it can be a number of ways but leaders pump life into the teams that they lead and they pump uh purpose into people which gives them this extra uh something to do more, to do greater than, to do better. Secondly, under motivating and inspiring, leaders empower subordinates. They 
Leaders develop leaders under them and give them the authority to lead in their own right, to make decisions, to cast vision within the vision, to inspire folks, to align folks, to provide direction that is in alignment with the broader purpose. Leaders give that power over to their leaders so that they can too grow and not grow in their leadership, but also grow in inspiring their teams, right? It is a downward triple effect that takes place that makes a leader effective. When a leader is able to empower other leaders, it becomes easier to establish direction. It becomes easier to align people. It becomes easier to motivate and inspire people. And lastly, leaders under motivating, inspiring people, they satisfy unmet needs. Um, that that is such a broad, uh, you know, statement to make. But you know, members of our team have unmet needs. And they range in a, uh, on a variety of levels and a variety of of, of uh, types and definitions. The leader, his or her job is to identify those unmet needs and determine how those needs can be met. Now, those meet, needs may not be met by the leader him, himself or herself, but the leader may say, well, I may not be the person to, to meet that need. However, let me connect you to resources. Let me connect you to partners who could possibly help you uh, get your need met. And the leader in that case meets the need by way of connection. Or in some cases, the leader may be able to directly provide a resource to meet the need of the team member. Um, so it can, it can vary either way. There can be a variation of both that is taking place.